Okay, well, I am so happy to be with you all today. And I wish, I really, really wish that it was in person, but we do the best we can, right? It's been quite a few years now since I've stood in front of you and it's really good to be back again. I've missed you. And I trust that God has been good to you as God has been good to me. You know, First Church is where I first discerned my call to ministry. And so I will be ever thankful for the support that you have given me through all of these years. Among the summer lectionary readings are the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The readings seem just a little harried because they, a little bit less harried because they follow Jesus down from the Galilee, headed towards Jerusalem, and he's preaching and teaching and he's healing. And he's with his disciples who are always close behind, adding tension and suspense to the story. But for today, Jesus is up there in the land of almond blossoms and brilliant sunflowers following the path to Jerusalem where the hustle and the bustle will begin. But there seems to be some sort of controversy as this passage opens up. Jesus is speaking to the crowds because they, are, they have a lot of questions about John the Baptist, who, by the way, is in prison. And they also question, who is this Jesus guy? What are they trying to do here, these two? And John himself, he even wonders, is Jesus the one, the Messiah that is to save us? Could he really be the one we've been longing to see and to have in our midst? John is just not understanding. You see, in Matthew's gospel, there is religious struggle within the first century Jewish believers about religious faith and praxis, which causes a great and heated debate. But John's not the only one who's not understanding. The crowds around, mostly peasants, farmers, and fishermen, they're not getting it either. And the well-educated, wealthy, influential people don't see the point of it all. Wisdom, they say, is hidden from the so-called wise ones. The infants understand it. The unassuming really get it. For those who trust and have faith in Jesus, it is pure revelation. John is the one to prepare the way, but Jesus, he is the real deal. He's God's revelation in the world, the Messiah. So let us now hear the word of God from the Gospel of Matthew, the 11th chapter. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent 
and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Lord, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed, handed over to me by my God, and no one knows the Son except God, and no one knows God except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Come to me, all you the, who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Well, when I finally decided that I had had it with moving, I found my dream house, my home, my little retirement home that I bought here in Milford in 2017. Since I vacated the parsonage on Roland Road in 2007, I have lived in six different places in five towns. So when I found this house, I knew on many levels that it was meant for me. It felt just right. It felt like home. It had possibilities for my creative spirit and there was a remarkable spirit about this house. It's close to the water and while the only water that I grew up near was the mighty Mississippi or really more like the muddy Mississippi, I find peace and a homecoming when I walk to the beach only three streets away. And with any old house besides dust, I found treasures that were left behind in the attic and basement. I found a reproduction print of Albert Dewar's young hair, originally etched in 1502, which is an iconic etching. I found information about the house built in 1910 and what the Port Trumbull area of Milford is like back then. I found an old wooden fishing rod and reel, and I found a curious yoke. Out of all the finds, the yoke is what excited me the most because it holds particular biblical meaning. Now, there are actually two types of yokes used to bear burdens or to carry things. One is a single yoke like the one I have. You've probably seen paintings of Dutch milkmaids carrying two buckets of water extended from a yoke on their shoulders. Or maybe you've seen a painting or a porcelain, porcelain figure of an old Asian man carrying his wares on either side of a single yoke. You can carry a lot, but you get tired from it, not to mention the backache. Then there is a shared yoke that is a wooden beam hitched to two animals, usually oxen. It enables them to pull together while walking a lot alongside of one another, thus lightening the load and having a companion all along the way. And by the way, as an aside, a clerical stole that we wear when we're all robed up, clerical stole is often referred to as a yoke. So when ordination time comes and the ordination is finally able to don a liturgical stole, it holds great meaning 
that now you are forever yoked to Christ in ministry. It's not a single yoke, it's a shared yoke. And that's an important dis distinction. Jesus is walking alongside of you, easing your load, guiding you through whatever may happen to you in your ministry. It's a reminder that you are not alone. And so I think Jesus, in his effort to pull us closer to him, offers a great invitation, invitation for all of us. In fact, I think he offers two invitations here. Come, every one of you, and take my yoke upon you. He says, come. Come, all of you, come, you weary, tired, worn out, burned out, overworked, exhausted, fed up, jaded, displeased, disgusted, angry. Come, all you people, and I will give you rest. I will be, be with you and give you rest that is sorely needed. And who doesn't need rest for their souls? Who isn't weary these days? I mean, come on. There are plenty of things that stir my soul and my heart and my mind and not always in a good way. So getting some much needed rest, a break from the quotidian of life sounds good to me just about now. I had planned to get a break from the everydayness of life this summer with two vacations but now that there's a kibosh on travel and the coronavirus is still a very real threat, this break needs to come in another way, probably for the better. For me, you know, vacations just tend to be a transference of one activity, active lifestyle to another, just in a different, usually more exotic location. So go figure. But after these last four months, I do need rest for my soul, not just a change in scenery. How has it been for you? I hope that you have all been able to manage these last four months with some sort of ease and grace. What wearies you? What burdens you? There have been times when I would cry out of, I don't know, boredom, fear, loss, grief, helplessness. And I know that I almost reached my breaking point a couple of times, but held it together by the skin of my teeth, as they say. I know that I needed rest from the stressors of my inner soul. You know, I could take a nap any time of the day being sequestered, and I did. But that's not the kind of rest I needed. I needed a deeper rest. What then is this rest for our souls that Jesus talks about? Well, the rest for our souls is far deeper than we can even imagine. Or maybe it's more undemanding than we think, but we refuse to accept the simplicity of it. Perhaps it's like the gradual lengthening of a summer day or the abundant growth that has emerged from fallow grounds. Maybe it's like a small breeze lighting across your face on a warm July day, or the diversity of birdsong gently waking you in the morning 
It could even be the calm rain splashing on the pavement or the walk, a walk to the beach to hear the gentle waves methodically lapping on the shore. These moments, they are salvation. They give us just the break we need. A reminder that God is indeed informing our lives and transforming our souls. God is refreshing us so that we can carry on. Come, all of you, and I'll give you rest. It's a reset on life. Rest, peace, comes in the stillness and simplicity of life. It's a cessation of the bombarding news, if even for a moment in time. It will strengthen us and reinforce our commitment to life. You know, God is very smart and compassionate. God knows. God knows that there is work to be done here on this kingdom we call Earth. If you read the paper, your phone, your iPad, you watch the TV, then you know too. There's a lot of work to be done. So here's where the second part of the invitation comes in. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yoke, easy. In this day and age, in this sorry world and nation, being yoked to Jesus doesn't sound easy to me. It actually sounds pretty difficult to me. You know, I don't even know where to begin. And yet, taking up the yoke of Christ is a metaphor for discipleship. We're called to do our part and to walk in the ways of Jesus. We're called to be disciples and enact the teachings of Jesus. And I think, I hope we know what those teachings are. The late Rachel Held Evans, author and theologian in her book, Evolving in Monkey Town, shares, the yoke is hard because the teachings of Jesus are radical. Enemy love, unconditional forgiveness, extreme generosity, the yoke is easy because it is accessible to all, the studied, the ignorant, the rich and the poor, the religious and the non-religious. Today, the yoke is especially hard. Enemy love, unconditional forgiveness, extreme generosity. The injustice and inequity in our nation is staggering, but you know this. You also know that the racial unrest has peaked to an unbelievably high and exposed poverty in all of its ugly forms. There's a lot of work to be done if we are to be the disciples that we say we are. Fortunately, there are plenty of opportunities to be about the work of Christ, yes, even amidst the pandemic. And First Church, thankfully, has always been a leader in the area of justice. That's what drew me to the church to pursue ordination. But sadly, the work is not nearly finished yet. 
As Hel Evans points out, that same yoke that is hard is also easy because it's accessible to all because each one of you is yoked to a loving and caring God. We are not alone in the work of the kingdom. We work together to effect change. That's, that's the sweet nature of the yoke. That's what gives our souls rest. We are not alone. We are yoked with Christ who offers these blessed invitations. Rest and work can bring transformation if you're up for it. The work begins within your rested soul and emanates out into the communities we live. It is transformation of our world and also of your life. So that yoke that was left in my attic is no longer there. I have placed it in a prominent place in my little home. It's a solid reminder to me that we are not alone and we never were and we never will be. That whatever battle or burden we choose to take on or befalls us, Christ is with us and we are yoked to him through all that our lives will endure. I find great comfort in that. And I hope you do too. Christ will be with you as you take on the yoke. The way and the path will be made clear and you'll walk and work with confidence. Come, all you tired people, take my yoke and put it on and I will give you rest. May God's love surround you and bring you rest, preparing you for the future ahead. Amen.